Welcome to another episode of the Girl Geek X podcast, connecting you to the best insight from women in tech. I'm Angie, founder of Girl Geek X. This podcast brings you the best of Girl Geek dinners, where we've been elevating women in tech for over 10 years. Hi, I'm Sukruta, CTO of Girl Geek X. I'm Gretchen, COO of Girl Geek X. And I'm Rachel, the producer of this podcast. And today we'll be discussing imposter syndrome. This is a question that we get a lot of at our Girl Geek dinners, and I wanted to get a sense from everyone here. Why do you think this topic gets asked so much at our Girl Geek dinners? I remember the first time I heard about it, I felt like they were talking about me and I got super emotional. I'm like, this is what I've been dealing with all week. I wonder if people really, really want to hear more about it because every time they're struggling at work or they're dealing with a new challenge, they mistake that for failure. And so they want to learn how to cope with that. And this sort of gives you hope that this is just in your head and you're not actually struggling. What do you think, Gretchen? Yeah, I think that's a big reason why it comes up is because you're always stopping and questioning yourself. And to know that everyone else is sort of going through something similar, like all the time, I think just makes you feel better because everyone else is sort of like they're the, the duck on the water, right? And it looks like they're moving along so smoothly, but underneath they're like paddling like crazy. Yeah. Um, and then I think <laughs> it comes up a lot because there's a name for it now. Right. Like, I don't know how many years ago you heard it. Like, I certainly didn't hear it for the first several years of my career when I like most struggled with it, nor was I around. I didn't have a community like Girl Geek X to kind of have other people talk about their experiences. So I thought I was like the idiot in the room all the time. But I don't know, Angie, what do you think? I don't hear about imposter syndrome day to day, which is why at Girl Geek dinners, it feels so safe for people to be like putting a name to this feeling they have and want to hear more about how to combat it so they can improve and not have those moments of pause when they want to be moving forward in their jobs and their careers. Yeah. Or even just like, what are the, what are the hacks? What are the life skills that you can learn from someone else that they, you know, I hear people say, well, I just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse like for a presentation or whatever, or I go and research every single possible outcome of this so that I can go in and feel confident about what I'm talking about and speak up. Right. But what are those ways? Because we are all going to do it differently in our way of like sort of overcoming it and going in and at least, you know, looking like a duck above the water and moving smoothly along, even if you're kind of paddling like crazy. Yeah, I remember before meetings when I would really, really struggle to like speak up. I'd I'd have so many things to say, but I wouldn't say anything in meetings. I read about power posing and I started to do that before every meeting. So basically, look, you look in the mirror and you pose fiercely. (laughs) You feel feel great. Um, Another tip that was given to me was to just go into the room before the meeting starts in that room and walk around. And that helps. So like things like that, unless we talk about it, we're not going to be able to like come up with these ideas for what would work for various people. Because there's only so much you can do with with tips that maybe don't work for you, right? Yeah. And I think another possible reason for why this comes up at so many dinners is just people wanting to know that they're not alone in this feeling, knowing that other people, other women that you admire, even as high as they are in their careers, still experience this is really comforting to hear. So what is imposter syndrome? Does anyone have like a definition now that we've been talking about it? 
Yeah, for me, I guess uh, imposter syndrome has typically been related to, you know, my annual performance or like how how much of a leader people perceive me to be. And I would always find reasons and excuses for other people to not take me seriously. And all of that, I would say, is what my experience and my perception of how I've, you know, gone through imposter syndrome and what it's been for me. What about you, Gretchen? I think I was plagued and still am to some extent. I grew up really, really poor. I was the first person in my like family to go to college. And so I was living in a world that I'd never experienced before, knowing that I was very different and trying to sort of learn the ways of, of you know, well-educated people in professional roles and always feeling like everyone could tell that I was just a girl who grew up in a trailer and didn't belong in the room. Having worked at an all-women's coding boot camp, I heard the word imposter syndrome a lot, both from the students and as well as the instructors who were anticipating the, the questions that would inevitably come about. So for like a more official overview of kind of what imposter syndrome is, we've got a great quote from Aline Lerner, who is the CEO and founder of a company called interviewing.io that helps um, people prepare for technical interviews. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, you definitely should. Um, Aline is like one of my favorite people and she spoke at our Elevate conference in 2018. And here's what she had to say through all of the data that they've collected at interviewing.io over the years. So what is imposter syndrome? It means that you think you did poorly when you did well. Now, here is the crazy part. If a candidate did well and they think they did poorly and you don't give them immediate actionable feedback, and let's say you let them sit on it for days, they're going to get into this whole self-flagellation gauntlet. So they're going to leave that interview and then they're going to start thinking one of two things. Either they're going to think, man, that company didn't interview me well. I'm good at what I do and uh, I don't think that company knew how to get it out of me, so they suck. Even worse, what's going to happen is you're going to think, oh, I'm a piece of shit. Now they know I'm a piece of shit, and I totally didn't want to work there anyway, right? <laughs> so uh, what ends up happening is uh, unless you tell people they did well, immediately after they did well, uh, you end up losing a lot of good candidates because by the time you get back to them, they completely talk themselves out of working for you. So uh, don't let this happen. Don't let them gaze into the abyss <laughs> and, and give people actionable feedback as soon as possible. Actually, I saw one of the comments. Uh, I want to leave a few moments for questions. But uh, one of the comments on the side was um, imposter syndrome is a women's curse. We actually ran some data on our platform to see if imposter syndrome is uh, more prevalent in women or whether it's distributed across both genders. As it turns out, both men and women are equally plagued by imposter syndrome. Uh, and the uh, other interesting thing that we learned, and we haven't written about this yet, but we will, um, is that the better you are at interviewing, the more prone to imposter syndrome you are, and the worse you are, uh, you know, there's the opposite called the Dunning-Kruger effect, where you think you did well when you, in fact, did poorly. I think when I originally heard her say that men and women were plagued by imposter syndrome equally. I wanted to just play it back over and over and over again. But I'm curious, why do you think that is that 
and and maybe this is only in an interviewing context, but I think it's probably right for a more wide application of it. But why do you think women feel like it is overrepresented with them? I feel like it's not really the fact that only women feel something or perceive something a certain way. It's how you deal with it, right? Like how you deal with that feeling. And I think that's where women are probably different, where like, you know, uh, obsessing about how something went, over analyzing, thinking more, worrying more, instead of probably moving on and forgetting. And I think that's probably where women are different. Just speaking for myself, I know I definitely think about things a lot more than my male co-workers and my male friends and even my husband. Like, they definitely don't overanalyze the way I do. But I, I think her quote in general, like, has really, really spoke to me because she spoke about the two sides, right? She spoke about imposter syndrome and the Dunning-Kruger effect. My only thing is, like, I wonder if it is more about when you're better at interviewing, then you are more prone to imposter syndrome? Or is it that when you've worked harder and you've, like, really, really put in a ton of effort, then you're more prone to imposter syndrome? That's something I was, like, thinking a lot about when I first heard her talk about this. What do you think, Angie? I've seen having trained and worked with a lot of male and female engineers that the male engineers do also admit when they're asked and prompted that, yes, they also have felt imposter syndrome here and there. And in our training and orientations, we always welcome the men to share those experiences. And they're like, oh, you want me to talk about them? We're like, yeah, we want you to talk about that because it's very human. It's very encouraging to your young mentee at the coding boot camp who's you know, starting out in this career to know that you too, 15 years ago or whatnot, also had similar feelings and they're completely normal and to be able to recognize that and then move on. So I think there's something to just acknowledging that that equalness that everyone feels these feelings of things we call imposter syndrome, anxiety, a lot of stress, doubt, um, feelings of failing because you're not sure oftentimes after an interview or anything, whether you were right or not, whether you did a good job or not. So I think that Aileen did a great job in underlining the importance of us as people in a community and society to confirm or deny whether someone did well or not. And that's just part of being a good mentor or coach or manager. It is interesting in an interviewing scenario, though, like how do you give someone feedback that they did well or not without over-creating anticipation of whether or not they'll get the role, right? If someone tells you you did really well, then you think, oh, I'm much, and you are a bit closer, but I think it can work in the opposite way too, possibly, where she's saying, you know, if you don't get the feedback, then you go home and you talk yourself out of the job in whatever way that you do that. But you may go home and talk yourself into the job. But this perspective is really, really, really interesting because to me, like imposter syndrome has been largely like outside of the interview cycle, right? Like for me, it's always been how I'm doing day to day and like how I'm contributing but this specific example is specifically because of what Eileen works on, you know, uh, her whole company is around interviewing. It's been really, really interesting to think of imposter syndrome very focused on interviews. Are there any examples that you can think of of imposter syndrome that you've seen outside of the interviewing context in your work? Yeah, I've seen it when people are like asking for promotions or asking for raises. Who's the one who asks for it? 
when there are multiple equally competent people or when there's a job listing and who actually applies for it so there i feel like there are instances of imposter syndrome in the people who don't put their names forward or they don't put themselves out there yeah i think it's kind of the same thing that she was talking about about going home and talking yourself out of something uh-huh. yeah even if it's outside of interviewing you're thinking about just going for a promotion before you even try you've had a whole kind of conversation in your head about how you're not like the kind of person who could go for that kind of thing yeah. so i think it's definitely relevant I think I've seen it um, with people on my team who you're trying to get them to work on a project and they kind of come back and they're like, I can't do that. I'm like, you absolutely can. I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't think you were capable of it. And I remember that super, super early in my career. Like it was my first job. I had no background in anything. And they were like, go out and find a 401k plan. And I was like, I don't even know what a 401k is. Like, like we didn't have like retirement plans in my family or anything. So first I had to find out what a 401k plan was. And then I had to go find one for the company. But they just were like, of course, you can figure that out. Like, just go figure it out. And so I took that early learning from how I was managed early on and sort of brought that into like, I wouldn't ask you to do it if I didn't think you could do it. In fact, I think a couple of days from now, you can come back and tell me more about it than I know about it right now. Don't you think sometimes when somebody's suffering from imposter syndrome, that also impacts how they're doing, like their performance? And then it's sort of like this awful cycle and and sort of catch-22 situation. And then over time, they don't push themselves as much just because they're so afraid. And then it becomes hard for even their boss to like see in them that they can actually do it. This is a common criticism of the tech industry, and I'm sure this is a, a trait of many industries and many places, is that managers are often, quote, not good. There's a common criticism you hear, right? It's everyone's like, oh, managers are terrible. They don't get enough training. Everyone, you know, even as a new manager, you have maybe two or four years of being a mediocre manager at best. So if people are not being empowered by, quote, good managers, that means there's always that, like, that amount of people who are left wondering and possibly getting hung up on their imposter syndrome and not being able to accelerate their careers as much as they could. I think that's a really good point. Because I, if I, you were making me think that just as you were saying it, like early on when I was a manager, I didn't really think about how do I pull this out of somebody. And now it's all I think about. Recently, I was managing, uh, he was doing inside sales calls and he really wanted to go do field sales, but he just kept He'd be like, well, yeah, maybe next week or whatever. And I could tell he was really frustrated because the field salesperson that he was giving the leads to wasn't following up on his leads. He's like, I should just go there. And so finally, I just kept digging down and digging down and digging down. And we had this conversation. And what I thought was going on is he thought people wouldn't take him seriously. And eventually I got him to admit without like saying what I thought it was that he was he's like, I'm too young. No one's going to talk to me. And I was like, "Okay, well, why don't you just go do it for a day and see if that's true? you've decided that, but you don't know if it's true. I would talk to you. I don't think you look too young to be taken seriously. You know everything you need to know about this business to do well. And then he started doing it and then I couldn't get him in the office anymore, <laughs> which was like this amazing success story. But That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like people really need a good manager, coach, or maybe even like someone like a therapist or a career coach who could be that person to give them encouragement, help them talk through and assure them that they can make that next step. So in my line of work, uh, it seems like speaking engagements seem to be kind of where imposter syndrome can rear its head. 
I remember I showed up at Harvard Business School for a panel and I was like, I'm the only one here on this panel that didn't go to Harvard Business School and then run a giant company. And I had feelings of imposter syndrome. But I also, um, I remember speaking with, at the time, Sheila Lero Marcello, the CEO of Care.com, and she mentioned that she felt imposter syndrome when she was at, I think it was Davos or World Economic Forum, where she was like, I'm at this great grand global stage, and I also felt a twinge of imposter syndrome. So I felt comforted to know that everyone feels this thing called imposter syndrome, and they're able to accept it and move on. And I think it's just a matter of addressing it and then just kind of moving forward and doing the things that you need to do. I think for me, imposter syndrome comes up a lot when I'm thinking about what words I use to describe myself and what I do. Even just doing podcasts and having that hesitance to say I am a podcast producer or I am a podcaster. I think there's a separation between kind of the work that I'm doing and I know I can do versus just internalizing that and letting that become a part of my identity. Wow, I never thought you'd say that. <laughs> I totally look at you as a podcaster. <laughs> well, thank you. We could give you a business card that says "Yeah, Geek Podcaster." I think having a business card would make it feel a lot more real. That's and tangible. awesome. <laughs> totally do that. <laughs> I remember when we were—I um, was working at the Women's Coding School. We would give uh, business cards in the middle of the program to all of our students that said their names and the word "software engineer" on it, and that way people felt similar to how scientists feel when they put on a white lab coat, that they are that thing. I think we see that if you're a student, oftentimes you're like, I'm just a student. But everyone else is like, well, you code, so you are a programmer. You are a software engineer. And it's just kind of helping people really hand out their card and say, yes, I am a software engineer. Yes, I'm a podcaster. Yes, I'm CEO. Yes, I am this. I think it plagued me at kind of each time I leveled up in my career, So I talked a little bit about kind of in the beginning, but then I think the next point where I was really overcome was when we founded my own company and going into these rooms and it's just like next level, right? These are top tier investors and I'm in there supposedly, you know, to to market myself and my company and just feeling particularly, you know, these are men, wealthy men, they've been wealthy their entire lives and sort of having, I wasn't expecting, you know, at, I guess at then I was around 39, 40 years old to have all of that feeling of, you know, I grew up poor, I don't belong in this room to sort of like all come rushing back. You know, you kind of, I guess, think at some point you've accomplished enough that that doesn't flood you with fear anymore, but it did. Yeah, that reminds me, my first time, I think, was when I moved to management. And, you know, when people don't like you as a new manager, they just, they don't tell you, they just don't want to do their work. (laughs) And it's like, why is no one wanting to do it? I'd never been on a team where people didn't like working with me. And I don't think it was so much that they didn't like working with me when I was a new manager. It was just, they were still adjusting to my style and expecting me to be perfect. And so I went in one meeting and I was like, hey, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm learning. Help me. And I think that changed things a little bit, but it still took some time until they got to know me and I got to know them and there was a little bit more trust. The funny thing is that I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I'm failing. I'm awful. And so I was talking to a mentor of mine at work and he was like, I can't believe you're saying this because you're boss and I met and he said, you're doing amazing. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I should have heard that 
more from him or I wasn't listening when he was telling me I was doing good. I do know that someone once told me if you're doing well, you know, people will tell you if you're doing excellent, people will tell other people and just hearing it that my boss had told other people made me feel better. And I think that sort of I would have to keep reminding myself of it every time I was, you know, worried that I wasn't doing so good. So during our Girl Geek Dinner with Square Trade, Bonnie Shu shared some of her experience with imposter syndrome. Bonnie is a product compliance manager at Harbor. Starting out as a really young female attorney, straight out of law school, of course I felt the imposter syndrome. You know, you have these opposing counsels who are really mean and scary, and they've been in the business for 40 plus years, and all they want to do is bully you around because they think they can, and they think that's going to help them win their case. And so, really, for, for me in those moments, kind of have like this tough love approach with myself where I'm kind of like, you know what, you've, you've got a job to do. Um, you have a client you have to put your full best effort for and you kind of have to separate out those feelings of insecurity and say, look, I got to get this done and I got to crush it. Um, and so, you know, taking that to tech where you're a first time manager, um, that's really scary. All of a sudden there's people expecting you to know what you're doing and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so, you know, you just, you just got to kind of put those feelings aside a little bit and just look at it from a very objective pr- perspective and say, I have a job to do and I'm going to kill it. Bonnie reminds me a little of uh, the book I'm reading right now, Michelle Obama's Becoming, where she's like, was a young female lawyer working in a firm full of aggressive men. And I don't think that Michelle Obama explicitly talks about imposter syndrome all that much, but then you can hear it. I think there's many different words for it, not just imposter syndrome, but the act of becoming all those things that you be, that you experience in a lifetime. I actually highly recommend that book. What Bonnie was talking about sort of reminded me of my my realization that, you know, it's the environment around you that sort of makes you feel insecure. And so to always be mindful of what environment you're creating as well. I think the fake it till you make it mentality is also very real in industries today, especially in the Silicon Valley, where we're in this age of hyper growth and super big billion dollar companies breaking boundaries that everyone feels like everyone has to act very financy because all the finance bros have come to tech and they're now (laughs) in our companies like you know doing the sales thing growing the company by leaps and bounds and also having time to go to the gym and have these perfect lives afterward and i've had several women confide that they can't keep up with the, the um group yoga afterwards and such so i think just kind of doing your best and kind of faking it till you make it, but also being real. And hopefully people can do that and come to Girl Geek Dinners and feel like it's a safe place for them to say this word imposter syndrome and be like, okay, we all kind of feel it and we can figure out ways to move on. I don't know how to, when I'm going through imposter syndrome and I'm trying to like, you know, go through that whole fake it till you make it. How do I strike that balance and not put myself in danger of falling into the whole Dunning-Kruger effect? Does that happen to y'all that y'all are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to like be on the other side of the spectrum and be like, oh, well, oh you want to think you did well when you sucked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to have a sense of self and be like, you know what? I didn't do so great. I can do better. The reminder that I can do better, not just 
being like, no, 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 I'm sure I did just fine, even though like I didn't do well. So like being able to correctly assess myself is what I want to be be able to do consistently. I don't think I've gotten good at that, but I have gotten better at, okay, so you did this one thing and you were terrified and worked out fine and you figured it out. And then you did this next thing and you were terrified and it worked out fine and you figured it out. So why is it if you look at past data that you think the future is not going to replicate that and why are you freaking yourself out right now? And that's sort of the... I just sort of go through that cycle and then do a little bit of fake, like, you got this, like, I'm some cheesy coach or something. (laughs) But, (laughs) and then the superhero pose. I've never done that, but I like, I've seen people do that where you could not stand and put your hands on the hips. I think it's awesome. Um, And I think, you know, it can make you feel powerful. So I've never done it because it didn't come along until like recently that I heard about it. But I was like, I really need to do that. Totally works for me. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> it's a little hard in like these shared bathrooms though at work. <laughs> like looking at yourself like that someone walks in. I didn't know to look in the mirror too. Because oh, I was like, oh, best. you could just stand in the, the stall <laughs> like awkwardly as a superhero. <laughs> Angie, what's your superhero pose going to be? Uh, I don't know if I have a superhero pose. I think it's, um, you can always have like, a, I've seen like a show where the people are like, I have a special tie. That's my my lucky tie. So you can have your lucky pin or your lucky shirt that says something witty that you wear under your blazer to at work for those like important meetings. Um, that little <laughs> thing that helps you feel like you have an edge on the day. Um, I don't know if it's for me power posing. I also have heard evidence that it doesn't actually work recently, <laughs> unfortunately. Who on you? Ooh. It's still so fun. <laughs> Don't listen to Angie, you, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's the art of tricking your brain into thinking things. Yeah. So it's I, only you who can Have you even it. tried to power pose, Angie? I have. Um, oh. I also think there's many things to be said about sitting at the table with your, you know, with some kind of assertive stance, making sure that your body language reflects the, you know, power that you feel in your head. Yeah. I think for me, like if you're talking about when you have to do a presentation, Mm -hmm. like for me, if I do it to one person, like one of my closest friends or like, you know, a spouse or whatever, like nothing will be harder than doing your presentation for one person who knows you really well. Like after that, it's like so easy so that like, if I'm really, really struggling with something, because like they can't help but like smile and kind of laugh at you or like whatever. And that's far worse than anyone in the room is going to do. So once you get that out of the way, it makes it easier. So I've got like different advice for how to deal with imposter syndrome. What's really worked for you all? Or is it something that you have to try something different every time? And because it, it changes based on scenario. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Gretchen? I mean, I think it's the self-talk for me, right? Like going into the rooms with the investors that I was talking about, it was just telling myself over and over again, you have worked so hard. You belong here. Even if you don't belong here, this is your dream. So you're going to go in and you're going to make it happen. Um, And like, you are not going to be your own worst enemy right now. You are not going to talk yourself out of this thing that you've worked so hard to you know, have the opportunity to go in and make an idiot of yourself if that, you know, like at least take the opportunity to do that. I, I think, feel, oh, sorry. Sorry. 
think for me, it's really similar to what Bonnie suggests, just coming back to the objective reality of a situation, because imposter syndrome really is a thing that lives in your head, kind of regardless of whether you actually know how to do the job, which you generally do. So I think for me, when I start to feel it, just coming back to like, no, I actually know how to do this. I have done this. I've been doing this well. And yeah, kind of self-talking myself out of that place and coming back to just what I know to be true is helpful. You know, what's really strange that helps me is like my to-do list (laughs) back and I'm like, hey, I did this and I did that because I saw it by like month. Just being able to go back and like remind myself of what I was able to do in the last six months, uh, you know, helps me feel confident for the future. And Kanji, what advice would you give? As someone who's been an entrepreneur many times and kind of done so many different job titles, I feel like I don't have time for imposter syndrome because I'm always trying something new and I'm always failing in a way. <laughs> um, so I don't really have, I guess the time that imposter syndrome has reared its head was after a successful event. Someone was like, that was a really successful event. And I was like, really? Yeah. It happened. And they're like, yeah, I celebrate it for a minute. I'm like, oh, right. We've got to have our drinks and dinner and celebrate and recognize we did an awesome job. I was ready to move on and like tackle the next huge problem on my list. So I think it's good that people around um, were able to help me recognize like, okay, that was a big thing we did. And that was probably my imposter syndrome rearing his head saying that was not a big thing. And when it was a big thing. Maybe like noting down every goal and then that we have and then like taking it off. Right. Like and you've achieved it. I think the reflection um, at the end of the year, at the end of 2018, and when look back and like all the things I did that year, I was like, oh my mm-hmm. God, that's a lot. I yeah. would never have planned for that. But looking yeah. back, I'm like, oh, okay. That makes me feel good about the next year. Yeah. Like a self evaluation exceeded expectations. Because <laughs> yes, I had no expectations. <laughs> I passed my own performance review. <laughs> all five. So when we had the Postmates-sponsored Girl Geek Dinner, we had Christine Song, uh, who's a software engineer there, who gave her own advice on how to fight imposter syndrome, because there was a question asked by a new bootcamp grad about it. I think that imposter syndrome is something that specifically plagues bootcamp grads a lot. And um, I think like a lot of what it is, is knowing what it is that you have to focus on. When you're at a software engineering company, you're assigned tickets. And like forgetting all of like the outside pressure that is like applied on you, you just focus on what's in front of you. Like your only focus and your only job is to do the things that you were assigned to do it to the best of your ability. And so that when people do ask you questions about your work, you can answer those questions and you research everything so thoroughly that like you're confident in what you're saying. And I think that like when you take a step back and you think of the bigger picture and you're like, oh crap, like I'm a woman, I'm in the tech company. Like, oh, crap. like, how did I get here? You know, because my background wasn't technical in any way whatsoever. And like the only way I am like able to get through that, like fear, of, like I don't belong here or I'm not good enough for this is just looking at what it is that you're doing and just focusing entirely on it. Like, don't let the outside influences distract you from what it is that your job is. Don't let anyone tell you what you can and cannot do. Just focus on what you're doing and you'll be fine. I think there's a lot of possible potential imposter syndrome from boot camp grads for sure, because that means that you did not study computer science in university and are working in industry as software engineers. But also when you look back, a lot of the people who are currently working as software engineers, many of them don't have a computer science degree. Many of them were self-taught, were hobbyists that became professionals. So I think it's important for 
everyone to be transparent and encouraging from wherever they are and saying that it is entirely possible to transition your careers into engineering, into tech, and is not so strange. I mean, I myself have a social welfare degree from college and I've worked at a handful of companies where I was on the engineering team. So I feel maybe I'm biased um, in that way that I can see the easy translation of humanities majors to technology companies. I think this sort of comes back to what I was saying earlier about it just affects you differently at different points in your career. So I think initially you worry about whether or not you're good at your job, and then you worry about whether or not you're good as a manager. Uh, And then you get like decent at being a manager, and then you become a manager of managers. And then that's like a whole new level. So I think maybe each time you're feeling it is also like Angie was saying, like a time to stop and celebrate, right? Like, oh, well, now I must be doing something that's harder or new, which means I've gone to another level. And so maybe while I freak out, I should also be like, it's so awesome. I get to like it's freak out right now. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. Right. Instead of thinking, I'm so nervous, I'm so scared, I think the um, recommended thing is to think, I am so excited, I am so excited. And that reframes it in your mind when you're nervous and anxious that you are also just really excited at this opportunity or at this challenge. It's so funny. Like, I think when you get into tech, you learn all these, like, life lessons (laughs) that could apply anywhere. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess one would think that it's mostly bootcamp grads that would feel this and perhaps they feel it more strongly but I I didn't have a computer science degree I had an electrical engineering degree but you know I did more programming for uh, hardware and as that's what I studied but then when I wanted to work I wanted to work in purely software so just that whole transition I didn't do as many java coding classes as I wish I had done and then you're like okay I've ramped up in java the, the interview is in C++, you know, you're always going to feel like you're not good enough. So when I have mentored bootcamp grads before, I've, I've tried to explain my perspective that, you know, you're always going to feel like you don't have the exactly the right credentials in the right degree. And, and there's everyone's like that. So don't let that hold you back. That's so interesting to hear because I would never expect an EECS major to say that. Because to me, I'm always like, EECS is so hardcore. That's computer science for sure. I never, never thought about the like electrical component being the, the barrier in someone's mind. Yeah, it's all perception. <laughs> Any final thoughts on imposter syndrome? I'm against it. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes it i uh i remember the first time i learned about imposter syndrome and i googled it i found out that there's like several quotes from meryl streep doubting her ability as an actress and cheryl sandberg and like other amazing amazing women and so i printed those printed posters out with quotes from them that i would look at regularly till i actually decided that i wanted to cope with it and like figure it out So I feel like just find what works best for you to stay positive and stay motivated because the worst thing that you could do to yourself is come in your own way. I think the best thing to do is surround yourself by people who are going to be encouraging to you and whether that's on purpose or by accident. I felt very lucky when I was in college to have people around me who were like, you can code and make websites. I will give you, I'll point you to paid jobs. And I was like, I never thought of that. So um, definitely surround yourself with, with as many encouraging, smart people that can give you the, the right 
um, pieces of advice, whether it's encouraging or not. And sometimes they'll be like, you need to do this thing and they'll point you in the right direction because you don't know what you don't know. And they will help you get to a better place, whether you have to learn Java or C++ or just it doesn't even matter. <laughs> One final way to sort of look at it is if I look five or 10 or 15 years in the future, will I be will I regret not taking this opportunity? And sometimes it's just framing it that way and putting it into perspective will kind of keep you from holding yourself back or from self-sabotaging in whatever way. Um, Because, you know, no one ever lays on their deathbed and is like, I really wish I'd never gone for that promotion, but they definitely (laughs) will, right? Like of, you know, I really regret not taking that opportunity because I was just too afraid. Wise words. <laughs> I think it's really important just to know yourself and figure out the kind of things that can help you personally combat imposter syndrome. Some people having that affirmation from others is really helpful. Other people, no matter what anyone tells them, they're still going to doubt themselves. Sakrutha. so knowing yeah just what works for you are you the kind of person who needs to just talk yourself down do you need to reframe and focus on what you have accomplished yeah just do some work to think about just how it works for you personally well said thanks for listening to this episode of the girl geek x podcast we'll be back soon with more advice from women in tech This podcast is sponsored by SquareTrade, the top rated protection plan trusted by millions of happy customers and offered by top retailers. This podcast is also sponsored by Postmates. Postmates helps people unlock the best of the cities and their lives with insanely reliable on-demand anything network. Launched in 2011, Postmates pioneered the on-demand delivery movement in the U.S. by offering delivery from restaurants and stores previously only available offline. This podcast is produced by me, Rachel Jones. To learn more about Girl Geek X or buy tickets to our next dinner, visit girlgeek.io. You can also find video and full transcripts from the talks we went through today. If you're interested in hosting a Girl Geek dinner, contact sponsors at girlgeek.io.